So, uh, this is really sort of part two. Um, in my mind, it's the end of it, but I don't know what the Lord has in mind, so I won't say that necessarily. And part two from the, the first one I talked about was the dealing with the tabernacle of David and the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of the Lord, that we are the tabernacle and that His Ark of His presence dwells within us. And I told you at the end of that sharing time that I felt like pretty clear that I had some more to share with you guys, and that is indeed the case. So let me just tell you right up front here, I'm going to throw a ton of Scripture at you. If you're a note-taker, you're welcome to do that, but I will tell you tomorrow I'll post in our dwelling thread my notes with all of the uh, references and so forth in there, and there's a lot of them. So you help yourself. Some people just have to take notes. I'm not one of those, but some people are that way, and I understand. So which just let you know that I am going to do that. Um, so at the end of the last sharing time, I talked about uh, how the Lord had put this phrase in my head, and the phrase was redeeming holiness. Um, and that I, I felt like that's what this time was going to be about, and that's indeed true. Um, as I was starting to think about doing this when Travis asked me to do it, um, a lot of different things ran through my head and the process and where I should go. And in praying about it, um, you know, things changed and, and molded and formed different ways, clear up and literally until this afternoon. Uh, yeah, so that's just the way it is, and I'm fine with that. Uh, just let the Lord speak what He needs to speak to us. Um, so the first thing that came to my mind is, why do we even need to talk about this? Why discuss holiness? What's the the foundation for all of this? And um, I came up with three specific scripture references that I wanted to share with you. And by the way, almost all of these scripture references that I'm going to share with tonight are from the Amplified Bible. Um, if you've ever looked in that version, uh, there's a wealth of knowledge, extra words, <laughs> uh, just it amplifies the text, and that's what it is. So that's that's where almost all of these scripture references are coming from tonight. Um, I've been living a lot in the Passion Translation, honestly, but that just was not the case for this, so we'll just trust the Lord as a purpose for that. So why discuss holiness? Three specific references that I wanted to share with you. One is Leviticus 11.44. It says, For I am the Lord your God, so consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. It's probably enough, right, as to why to discuss it. Leviticus 19.2 says, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He repeats himself. There's something significant about that. And then 1 Peter 1.16 is actually quoting, I think, the earlier passages that I mentioned. It says, because it is written, you shall be holy or set apart, for I am holy. So why discuss holiness? Because the Lord tells us we're to be holy. And we need to understand what that means. Now, I guess I should stop and pause here for just a moment. Let me tell you, this topic is 
huge. I had no idea starting into it uh, really what I was going to be getting into. And, and when we start talking about some of the things that are in here, please understand that these are just the things that the Lord zeroed me in on. There's a lot more there. Um, I did a search in my Bible app on, I think it was holiness. It was either holy or holiness. And after 15 pages of copying and pasting references, I said, okay, that's probably enough. And it was still going. I don't know how far it would have went gone but uh it's it's a, just a huge topic and there's a reason for that so i think that's one of the reasons that we're talking about it tonight okay so i do believe that there are aspects of holiness that need to be redeemed remember my topic or phrase was redeeming holiness or maybe another word for redeem might be restored the enemy has tried quite successfully in some ways to twist and distort what holiness is and what it means in our lives. And that's manifested in many different ways as we look around to different groups and bodies within the, the Christian realm. Um, when I started preparing for this, it became pretty clear that within all those different brands, there are so many different things to talk about. Um, I experienced what I will call the Wilmore brand in the 70s. <laughs> And um, that's, it's a brand. It's, it's not the same as everything. It has its own distinct characteristics. Um, so I was starting to think about all those things and the things as I look back that seem, well, parts of it seem ridiculous. Let's just leave it at that. But as I started doing that, two different folks from within our body came to me independently and shared with me, they, and they knew that this was coming. And... and it felt like the Lord was saying not to focus on the details of the problems. They're there. We know what they are. They're easily identifiable. Okay? Um, so I'm really not going to focus on that specifically. But rather what the Lord had me do was look at what the Word has to say about being holy, about holiness. And as I started to do that, it became very obvious to me that really what I had to start with it was is the foundation of holiness, which is God. Be holy, for I am holy. So our foundation of this whole thing is the very nature of God. And so, can I tell you that just the thought of trying to explain what the nature of God is was like, really? I mean, <laughs> how can I do that? So this is just... A very thumbnail sketch. I'm sure you'll understand what I'm saying. If you start talking about the very creator of the universe and you want to describe the nature of him, you know, there are four creatures that float around the throne in eternity saying, holy, holy. And they're seeing, Travis gave a description one time that I loved, and that was, they're always saying this because every time they move just a little bit, they see a little different facet. It's never ending. Okay, so we're certainly not going to end that tonight, but I am going to give you some things that I believe the Lord was showing me that are some of the attributes that relate specifically to the aspect of his holiness. Um, and I'm using very little as far as commentaries or other things like that, which I did read some of, but I just felt like I was just supposed to pretty much stick to the scripture and let the scripture talk for itself. Okay, so having said that, 
let's jump into a little bit of what the attributes of God are. And a lot of these, like as I said, are related specifically to the aspect of holiness. His name, which his name is, you know, he has many names, right? But when he talks about the Lord, it's Yahweh, right? So that's what we're talking about. His name is to receive glory and honor. He is worthy of our praise. This is the foundation right here for praise and worship, one of them. His name is to receive glory and honor just by virtue of who he is, nothing else. His name is to be exalted in justice, and he shows himself holy in righteousness. That's in Isaiah 5.16. A big aspect of an attribute of God that I saw when I was looking at holiness was fire. Fire comes out of his presence in so many different ways. Um, I'll just list just a few of those. One of the things first I thought about was the uh, burning bush. And as I went back and looked at that, what actually happened was an angel came into the burning bush, created the fire, and then God spoke to Moses out of that fire. But it was directly related to him. Okay? Lord is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. What does he consume? Everything that's not of him is consumed. There is the story, the telling of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. There was this argument going on with the prophets of Baal and Elijah. You know the story, went in and built an altar and he made fun of the prophets of Baal because they maybe their God was sleeping or all these different things. And so finally Elijah asked them to bring buckets and buckets of water just to soak the altar and the trench that ran around it and so forth. And it says, when Elijah called on the Lord, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offer, the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trenches. Pretty thorough. You know, a consuming in every way fire. And then Elijah apparently had a lot to do with fire for a lot of different reasons, but you know, there's the story of when the king was sending for Elijah to come down, and he sent uh, one of his commanders with 50 of his people, and Elijah basically called down fire from heaven, and they were burned to death. Boom. The king said another 50. Same thing. You'd think the king would learn here, but no, he sent a third one. The commander of the third one got the idea something was going on here. He says, we know that you're a prophet of God. He started off his communication with Elijah that way. And the Lord told Elijah, you can go down with this one. So they weren't consumed. But just imagine for a moment, your holy imagination, (laughs) 50 people, boom, fire, gone. Twice. Yeah, fire. Then there's a description in Daniel of the Ancient of Days. His garment is white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was flames of fire. Its wheels were a burning fire. Sitting on the throne in flames. 
a different aspect. Tongues of fire represented the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost. It's not all the same thing. It's not all destructive. And then there's the the description of the Son of Man in Revelation. His head and his hair were white like wool, glistening white like snow, and his all-seeing eyes were flashing like a flame of fire piercing into my being. Fire purifies, it destroys, it consecrates. It's an amazing thing. Think of how many aspects of our life as a, well, I will say the body of Christ. That's a pretty wide-encompassing net. But is involves flames, candles, uh, representations of fire, and, and just it's, it's pervasive. It really is. So that's one of the attributes of God. Another one is that he reveals himself to us. Think about how unique that is. That the God of the universe wants to be known. Wants to be in a relationship with him, with us. He himself is holy. He sanctifies us and declares us holy. Now did you catch what I just said there? He sanctifies us. Does that say anything about us doing something so we can be sanctified? No. He sanctifies us and declares us holy. That's in Leviticus 22:32. He is the fountain of life. Literally all life flows from him. Again, the creator of the universe. He is loving kindness and goodness. He is a redeemer and he is strong. He is majestic and his words are wonderful. He's incomparable. Nothing compares to him. He is above all. Above all, the song that was sung tonight, one of them. He is mighty. His Holy is his name and to be worshipped in his purity, majesty, and glory. He is our comforter. He is our redeemer. I've said redeemer before. Far beyond human understanding. We can't begin to fathom all of what God is or who he is. In his presence is splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty. The Lord thunders and roars from Zion. The heavens and the earth tremble. He is also a target, excuse me, a refuge for his people. We go to him and he's a refuge for us. He cares about us. He's a stronghold of protection to his children. He expects us to keep his statutes and ordinances. That's part of his nature. He gave us initially the Ten Commandments, and now he writes the law of love on our heart. But he expects us to keep those statutes. His love breaks through every situation. Can't help but think of the penners right now. His love breaks through every situation. He'll prove himself holy and manifest his holy among us. And by the way, in us at the same time. His presence dwells in us, and we who are the tabernacle of David, carrying the presence of the ark, representing the Holy Spirit. And those are just a few of the attributes. We could go on all night, really, just talking about those things. 
But the bottom line is, He is our foundation. He is the source of everything that is holy. And He calls us holy. Do you read any place in there, again, where it talks about us having to do anything? No. It's who He is. Praise the Lord for who He is. So what then is the problem with holiness? Legitimate question. Colossians 2, 20-23. A little longer reference here. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were standing, is still living in the world, do you submit to rules and regulations, such as, do not handle this, do not taste that, or do not even touch? These things all perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. These practices indeed have the appearance that popularly passes as that of wisdom and self-made religion and mock humility and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against sinful indulgence because they do not honor God. So it's not man-made principles that defines holiness. And it seems to me that that's right where the problem is with holiness. When there is a problem. Okay? And I'm not here to just throw that word out for every group, if you will. That's, that's not my job. But I, I have seen enough to see that there is a definite problem when man gets his hands... <laughs> on what holiness is, and goes outside of the Bible to say, this is what it is. That is the problem. That is not biblically based. Another reference, Proverbs 21.3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice for wrongs repeatedly committed. It seems to me that many times the rules of holiness are considered to be a sacrifice, as if somehow doing those rules is a sacrifice that appeases God. That was certainly part of the, the old law, the, the Hebrew, the Torah, and all this, and the sacrifices were commanded by God, by the way. <laughs> but that was part of what they did, but that was before Jesus came. Right? So when those things translate into rules and regulations that are put upon us by man, there is the difference. The previous ones in the Old Testament were designated by God, and you had better do them. The ones by man, I have a problem with, that are not biblical. Okay? Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking what one likes, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What a different approach, right? So rather than the rules of holiness, here's an alternative. Romans 6.19 I'm speaking in familiar human terms because of your natural limitations, your spiritual immaturity. For just as you presented your bodily members as slaves to impurity and to moral lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness, so now offer your members or your abilities, your talents, 
as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, that is, being set apart for God's purposes. There you go. Instead of the laws, instead of the rules by men, we offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, being set apart, which is really the definition, if you will, of holiness, which is what we're going to talk about right now. So, we've established, in my mind, the attributes of God, the nature of God, what holiness isn't. So what is holiness? And I ran across this, um, these notes here. This was actually in some notes that were in the uh, sort of footnotes from the Passion Translation in 1 Peter 1.16. And so I wanted to read this couple of paragraphs to you. Everything about God is holy. Everything. True holiness includes justice, mercy, truth, and righteousness. To be holy is to be absolutely devoted to God in all that we do, demonstrating who He is to the world. Holiness surrounds God's throne, and we are seated with Him in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6 says, And He raised us up together with Him when we believed, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. So we're seated with Him, who is holy. The Hebraic concept of holiness is set apart, what I mentioned a moment ago. That is, we are people set apart for God. Even as God, I had never thought about this, even as God is set apart from the other gods with the little g's. He's set apart from them. He's not like them. He is unique. Grace has embedded holiness into our lives. Yet we are to make right choices and to yield to Christ and God's word as the Holy Spirit lives in us. Listen to this next statement, sentence. Holiness is not merely actions we perform, but what we absorb and manifest as we live our lives in God's presence. Let me say that one more time, because I think that's really important to what we're talking about here tonight. Holiness is not merely actions that we perform, but instead what we absorb and manifest as we live in our our lives in God's presence. If we're in God's presence, we're going to absorb God, right? If we're not in God's presence, we're going to absorb not God at best. Okay? So where we are makes a big difference. Christ is our holiness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, revealing His plan of salvation, and righteousness, making us acceptable to God, and sanctification, making us holy and setting us apart for God, and redemption, providing our ransom for the penalty of sin. So, he became for us the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Really important concepts. 
And this is sort of a review of what I said, something I said earlier. Holiness is imparted from God. Nothing we can do makes us holy. No rules that we follow, nothing like that. Leviticus 20, 26 says, You are to be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have set you apart from the peoples or nations to be mine. He sets us apart. Nothing that we do. He sets us apart. Nothing that we can do has accomplished that. His light and His truth lead us. We find joy and peace in His promises. Holiness is an anointing from the Holy Spirit. We are specially gifted and prepared by the Holy Spirit. We are taught. Our minds are illuminated and guarded forever from error, excuse me, forever. John, 1 John 2.20 says, You have an anointing from the Holy One and know all things. Wisdom. Romans 6.18 And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness, of conformity to God's will and purpose. That's what I want to be a slave to. You know? We don't want to be a slave to a lot of things. And I love that song, It's No Longer Slaves. I'll take being a slave to righteousness, of conformity to God's will and purpose. Second Peter 1.3 For His divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. He bestowed on us everything necessary. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled faces, continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are progressively being transformed into His image. I love the word there, progressively. It doesn't say that it's just a one-time thing. It's constantly happening. We're, we're changing. We're being, well, we're being changed, progressively being transformed into His image. We become what we see. There is a cautionary tale, is it not, of what we see and look at? 1 John 1.7 But if we really walk in the light, that is, live each and every day in conformity with the precepts of God as He is in the light, we have true unbroken fellowship with one another. He is with us and we with Him. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. By erasing the stain of sin, keeping us cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. Again, a continual process. Well, I'll just say my own personal opinion. I don't know that we ever completely do that on ourselves on this earth. You know? There's one person that I know of was able to do that. It was Jesus. Second Timothy 1 9. For he delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling, a calling that leads to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of pers- purpose not because of our works or because of any personal merit 
We could do nothing to earn that. But because of his own purpose and his grace, his amazing undeserved favor, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 1 Corinthians 3.17 If anyone destroys the temple of God, corrupting it with false doctrine, God will destroy the destroyer. For the temple of God, which by the way is us, the temple of God is holy and it is sacred. And it says, and that is what you are. We are both the temple of God and holy. Astounding when you stop and think about that. James 4, 6. He gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for salvation. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and the haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. Continually gives us the gift of grace. And don't we need it continually? I do. 1 John 2.20 You have an anointing from the Holy One. You have been set apart, specially gifted and prepared by the Spirit. And all of you know the truth because He teaches us, illuminates our minds, and again, guards us from error. So many more potential definitions, if you will, or attributes of what holiness is. But that gives us, I think, a good thumbnail sketch. And we, I think, the, again, the important part there is that He is the one that accomplishes that in us. It's by us looking to Jesus and Him living in us that we are able to make the kind of strides that we need to to be holy. And He gives us grace when we mess up. But He is the one that does it again. So, sort of the last main section here on this. Um, and that is, so what are the outcomes then of holiness? Or what should they be? We live in righteousness and truth in a way that expresses to God our gratitude for salvation. We live in righteousness and truth in a way that expresses to God our gratitude for salvation. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Therefore, since we have these great and wonderful promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, completing holiness, living a consecrated life, a life set apart for God's purpose. And then this last little phrase that says here, in the fear of God. I, I just, this is my own personal thing. I think too often we have lost the sense, the proper sense of the fear of God. If that were not the case, we would not do half the things that we do. <laughs> because we would know better. And we would have a healthy... And in some ways I want to replace fear with respect. But fear is appropriate. Right? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, 
the number of times I've run across that since I shared with you guys that we are the tabernacle of David in the temple, it just shows up all the time. I just haven't noticed it before. The Lord just continues to speak. But anyway, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own property? We're his property. Romans 12.1 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves and set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, in parentheses, logical and intelligent, act of worship. It's a rational thing to do. If he's God... If he's calling us to live a holy life and to sacrifice ourselves, we are a living sacrifice to him. We need to present ourselves holy and well-pleasing to God. Galatians 5.16. Remember, these are the outcomes that we're talking about now. Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Seek him and be responsive to his guidance. I think it's fairly natural to some extent to seek him and ask for guidance how often do we do that and then say mm, I, no whether we say no or not our actions show that right we seek him and be responsive to his guidance Colossians 3.5 this is the put to death and deprive of power all the evil longings of your earthly body with its sensual, self-centered instincts. Immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desire and greed, which is a kind of idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. Those things become the things that are important. Live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage, another outcome of holiness, conformity to God's will. Get rid of all uncleanness and all that remains of wickedness so that you can receive with a humble spirit the word of God. So when all the uncleanness and stuff is in there, we can't receive. We're not hearing. We have to be able to hear. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, that you be sanctified and separated and set apart from sin, that you abstain and back away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, being available for God's purpose and separated from things profane, not to be used in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God and are ignorant of his will, no man shall transgress and defraud his brother because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we have told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness, to be dedicated and set apart by behavior that pleases him, whether in public or in private. There we go. Romans 6.22 
But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become willing slaves to God, you have your benefit resulting in sanctification, being made holy and set apart for God's purpose. And the outcome of this, here we go, is eternal life. Pretty good payment. Would you not agree? The outcome, it just says it right out, comes out and says it. Eternal life. Offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead to a new life. And your members, again, meaning all of your abilities sanctified and set apart as instruments of righteousness yielded to God. That is in Romans 6.13. Just a few more here. Galatians 5.25 If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit in personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage. Our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay. And the last one, James 1.18. It was of his own will that he gave us birth as his children by the word of truth so that we would be kind, he would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, a prime example of what he created to be set apart to himself, sanctified, made holy for his divine purposes. Again, I want to stress the fact that this is his doing not our works our filthy rags and again there's so many more things and it's always intriguing to me the Lord created us all to be different there's no one list that's comprehensive that I'm aware of that applies to everybody I guess you could make a case that certainly the Ten Commandments and some of those kinds of things fall into that category, right? But what I'm talking about is on a personal level, day by day, walking our lives. The Lord deals with us in the things that we do. And those things are what makes the difference in how we are set apart and not just part of the crowd. Set apart for His purposes. So I've come to the conclusion that the question of holiness should not be about what to do or not to do. In some ways, Shakespeare had it right. The question is, to be or not to be? That is the question. We've had Travis and others talking about being, the importance of being, what God calls us to, to be or not to be. Being a, the unique person that God created us to, hmm, try again. Being the unique person that God created us to be, not conforming to man-made standards that have no biblical basis. That's one. Being set apart for His purposes, allowing us to be used for kingdom purposes. Being in constant communion with the Spirit of God who lives within us. Being refined, burning away anything that is not holy. 
So instead of focusing on redeeming holiness, which to some extent would rely upon our own efforts, right, if we're trying to redeem holiness, I think we need to focus on being redeemed by holiness. Just a slight difference, but a huge impact. Redeeming holiness. Or putting it another way, holiness is redeeming us. It's an action thing. Holiness is what we absorb and manifest as we live our lives in God's presence. Dwelling ministry's ministry mission statement is welcoming the presence of God to permeate every segment of society. As we welcome the presence of God on both a personal and corporate level, we are being redeemed by holiness. We welcome his presence in. That presence redeems us and creates holiness. By living in the presence of God, or just being in the presence of God, his, his holiness of necessity transforms, purifies, and refines us burning away the things that are not holy. Let us all resolve to seek to be saturated in the presence of God, for that is what brings true holiness. As I was preparing this afternoon, I thought I was finished. (laughs) And the thought that came to me was, well, that isn't much of a Christmas message. <laughs> and I no sooner had that thought than I was corrected. It absolutely ties into the Christmas story. Jesus coming to earth to live with us. Emmanuel. God with us. is absolutely the essence of the Christmas story. The physical presence of God coming to earth is the most visible representation of the concept of holiness that has ever been given to us. To this point anyway. Probably only to be outdone by the second coming, at which time His holiness will be in full display for everyone. He's not coming as a baby. So, as we go through the remaining days of reliving and celebrating what the miracle of Christmas represents, let's seek to draw near to Him to embrace His presence more than the presence under the tree. His presence. To quote a famous Christmas carol, Thou didst leave thy throne in thy kingly crown, when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home, there was found no room for thy holy nativity. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. Let that be our prayer. Right. Father, we acknowledge our desperate need for you 
for your presence of our own efforts this is filthy rags but you come in and lovingly put your arms around us you show us the truth you correct us you give us grace you redeem us all those things that you do Lord when we are in such a helpless estate Father, we just confess our need for you. We want more of your presence. Lord, may the things that we see be you. And as we go out into this world to permeate every part of society, may they see us as a reflection of you. May your holiness run through every cell of our body, so much so that it cannot be denied to others that we belong to you. But it's all about you. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. Fill us with holiness. Continue to refine us. Give us the ability, Lord, to understand what it means to totally surrender to you and to live a life that is set apart for your purposes. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I guess I should make just a real brief announcement about next Sunday. If you hadn't noticed, we're having an abbreviated service next week, probably about an hour. There's going to be some time uh, where folks can offer their gifts. Kara sent out a message about this. There's going to be a time of communion, some singing, and so forth. But it will be somewhat of an abbreviated service. And so just want to encourage you to come and uh, bring somebody with you. And let's just share and rejoice in the Lord and His advent to our midst next, well, in the days to come and next Saturday as well. Be blessed. Have a good night.